0: Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we talk about all things cube, but with refreshments. I am your host, Stu. I'm here joined by my other hosts, Anthony and And me, Amay. Hi, Amay. Hi, Anthony. Today, we've got a bit of a... Well, we expected this one to be a bit of a shorter episode than uh, some of our previous. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about green, everybody's favorite color in magic, except everybody and uh, we're going to talk a bit about mid-range and we're going to talk about how to really beef up your mid-range packages specifically in that three to four cmc range which typically has been like not the the hardcore rampy section which is like in your one to two and not your like big like balmy cards like your like your crater hoofs and so on and so forth so uh tireless tracker at three cmc and questing beast at 4CMC. Thank you for listening. We really hope you check out our Discord. And, whoa, uh, whoa, reach whoa, out to whoa, us. whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, hang on, whoa. hang on. What? Back whoa. this up. Hang <laughs> on. We're going to do an
0: episode. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm, I'm finishing it off. We're talking about mid-range. What more do you need to talk about? <laughs> Is there more?
1: Yes, there's, yes, there's oh, more. Oh, my green. God. There's more to green. Three to five drops.
0: Uh, hang on a second. Do, do I need to mention Corsair of Crufix? Are you done now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess guess this is a little bit more complex than I originally gave it credit for. But okay, fine. (laughs) May and Anthony are here. We're talking about green. We're talking about mid-range. So again, we're talking about this gap. Right. It's the gap between like the the, the little itty bitty dorks, your Lana War Elves, you know, that are just powering out your mana, ramping you up, and then your really big bomby creatures, right? Your Crater Hoof behemoths, whatever you've got at your top end of your and then table. that
2: dead zone. And then the dead zone. Right? And we want to get rid of the doldrums of green. That's what we're trying to remove from this episode. And before we go any further down this conversation, we do the thing that we always do here at Urbicube, and we're gonna enjoy our libations of the show. Stew. Let's start out with you, since you were so hasty. I don't even have a beer anymore. Oh, I have that. You You were so
1: fast to end, you don't even have a beer.
2: Since Stu was so hasty to just uh, wrap up this episode with the green mid-range (laughs) equaling two cards. But before we go any further, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at Herbie Cube. We're going to enjoy our libations of the show. We're going to start out with May. May, what do you have in this evening?
1: I'm actually going to be responsible, and I'm drinking water. Ooh. Drink
0: your water, people. I should be responsible, but I'm not. I'm having another one of these delicious hidden pipe porters. Uh, it's a coffee porter from the Raleigh Brewing Company here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Anthony, what you got?
2: And I'm going to have a Highland Brewings Oatmeal Porter. Delicious. Delicious, dark, roasty, and smooth. Ooh, just like Just you. like me. All right, crank them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... You were pretty excited about just naming a couple of cards here, but you want to kind of give an overview, you know, a little bit a synopsis of what we're trying to do. We're talking about the so, Dead Zone. We're talking about
0: like. the Dead Zone. I like that term, right? I so, like the Dead Zone. Dead I zone like Dead name Zone. Name That's pretty cool. So... The, the the super low cmc one maybe two rampy kind of green creatures right so lana war elves ignoble hierarch noble hierarch right the cards that you are never sad to see in your opening hand because you know now that you can bang these out in the first turn or two and then start really paring out your higher drops right the higher drops the 7 Eight, six nine. Six even. Six even, Prime, right? Prime, Prime time. Titan, right? Those are well established. Yeah. But what happens before that? What happens at five? How do you make green great? What happens at four? What yeah. happens at three? Outside of Questing Beast, right? Memes aside, I will love me some Questing Beast, but that exists in a kind of a unique space. I actually made the comment a very long time ago in one of our previous episodes. I think it might've been to Derek Gallen or JP or one of those people. And I said, I actually think that Questing Beast is one of the few cards that's actually holding green aggro to be relevant, right? Because yeah. it, it does occupy... Besides Leatherback kind of Bailoff. A right? little bit. Besides Leatherback Bailoff and Colonian Hydra, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah. those Those speak for themselves. Those are clearly... But where is green's identity in the mid-range, right? In that 3, 4, 5, 6, outside of just maybe you play lands from the top of your library. Maybe you ramp a little bit more. Does it have... More than that. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode.
2: Yeah. So it, it oftentimes green suffers from being a utility color, right? Like if you're going to drafting mono green, uh, removing Gaia's cradle and things like that from the equation oftentimes becomes challenging. And then it often, and May, I want your thoughts on this, is viewed as the weakest of the color pie where it used to be white, but suddenly white has become this. Infamous, if not dominant, vintage cube, uh get in there fast, fast and furious playstyle, that it's kind of pushed green into this weird little zone by itself. Do you agree with that statement? I'm actually
0: I want to make a, a question first for May before even that. Do you agree that green has always been like or has since been pushed down and white has been the weaker one? Because I'm not quite sure I agree with that. May tell me what you I don't about.
1: agree with either of statements. I don't statements. agree with that. That's so- fair. The problem with green basically runs up to the game has become power crept. More and more creatures are effectively spells and they have values and the gray area between mole drifters and bane slayers is great. That line is no longer as clear as it used to be. Back in the days of old, Green could easily just pull a bunch of Stompy creatures, play like Rook's Companion into Leatherback Bayloth Turn Three, and then have their little Stompy core and whatever, right? Or they could play their Birds of Paradise into Leatherback Bayloth. Just as a specific example, right? And the reality is, is that Le- Le- Leatherback Bayloth doesn't cut it anymore. Just getting a vanilla four five isn't enough nowadays. And the more and more that we have this complexity creek going on, the more and more green gets pushed back into the corner, which is why Questing Beast stands out so much, because it has so much word soup. It does so much that it manages to stay relevant because of it. You are happy spending a dork to go into Questing Beast. Because Questing Beast helps you close a game over time.
2: Because we talked about it in a previous episode where it, it breaks the color pie. And we talked about the color pie where it takes all these different components. It has pseudo-unblockable for a certain value of creature. It has haste. It has vigilance. It has all these different attributes of the different components of the color pie. And and whereas Green, a lot of times, has kind of had this like trample, reach, stompy, just very generic, you know... Leatherback Bailoth, like we talked about, right? Or Colonial Uh Hydra. Those were kind of the epitome of that idea. They just were efficient creatures for their rate, even though they're vanilla. And if you got enough of them on the battlefield, you could win through just sheer might. And when I was saying weakest, I don't mean brawn versus weakest. I mean more of it's weakest through the vision of curators and through drafters because it does feel more of a utility component like ramp rampant growth, stuff like that, that they're looking for to make their other colors better instead of being a standalone creature. That's, that's it right there.
0: Green's ability to shine in a lot of environments, for me, okay, that's- is not about the ability to put creatures out there in early turns that have the ability to take over the game. Those those days seem to be long yep. gone for me, right? Because the other colours have far more impactful creatures in the first one, two, and three turns. I don't care about a Lanawar Elves. I don't care about an Elvish Mystic. I care about a Ragavan right that's what i want on turn one or a dragon's rage Channeler or a mother of runes and mother of runes this is why i would disagree a little bit i think i don't think that white was sort of in that backspace i think white has always been at the forefront and has always had one of if not maybe the most premium one drop creature of all time you can make arguments for you know mother of runes and death rate shaman and ragavan as it exists nowadays but green has been relegated, and while I and I do agree, to a utility, green is not about creatures anymore. Green is only about ramp, but it's not even about ramping creatures anymore. Green is about doing, green is about the utility. And it's kind of a sad thing for me. I, I do kind of feel sad about it because I've played those modern stumpy decks. I've played mono green, just trying and run over with creatures. They're not viable anymore.
2: I want to take a moment to pause and, and and do a shout out for an amazing podcast called Powerful Nothing. And they've got about 12 to 15 episodes, give or take. And they've started doing – they're doing a fantastic job. And they actually covered this topic as May was actually writing this one. They talked about (laughs) this topic extensively. And I'm going to include in the show notes a link to their podcast, which I think they're fantastic. And they spoke to this so eloquently that, yeah, we're we're at a real challenge here to even try to keep up because they just did such a great job. So I will include that. And I didn't want to just, you know – not talk about that. Powerful nothing. We should fantastic The heck out of yeah. Fantastic. All of if these you're looking for a great, creators. you got LPR. You got Uber Cube, But now you've got powerful nothing, and I'm impressed. they're great. Excellent. So, another thing that Green does is. You had to have that gap, right? Like it doesn't have really that Savannah Lion goblin guide threat that we talked about. Well, how do you beat that? Well, there was a coinage that came up and it was the Unga Bunga package, which I think it's, was that from Donkey Kong Jr. or which one was that? uh, Country. Donkey Kong Kong Country, Country, right? They did the Unga Bunga. But, so. How did you, how did you support something besides your Fendorn elves, your Jorg the tree speaker, and then eventually get to your crater hoof behemoth or woodfall primus? That was that stopgap, that dead zone, that doldrum that green had. Do you even want to get to the crater hoof behemoth? You That's were, a great point. You were can, te-
0: can, yeah. The question should not be, can you? The question is, should you, should you have w- such great value in those three and four and maybe five? you know cmc slots that you can just take over the game there before you've even you even get to crater hoof. your crater hoof, or even before you've got to your primeval titan right. like six primeval titan is still just a busted card right it's right. bonkers you don't need to do too much before you get to six mana if you're casting a prime time you've now got a six six trample and you've got two additional lands and it's to any land so now you're talking about even you don't even probably want more ramp at that point you just want utility lands but now what happens
2: Yeah, so how did you combat that Boros uh aggro strategy, right? Otherwise you were hoping to Fendor Elf, you were doing Lanawar Elves, fast, 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 rampant growth, cultivate, Kadama's Reach, and hope to God you have enough dorks out there to, oh yeah, I got them the crater hoof, right? That was your it, there was a point in time where that was your strategy, right? Or to get to prime time. Yep. But that was it. You had this huge dead area and you're hope to be alive by the time you've had enough Savannah lions coming at you. You couldn't do anything about it. So you had to defend against that. So that's what the Ungabunga or as May has coined it the ahoo package.
1: <laughs> I love how you mispronounced it and put it wrong ah-hoo. in the notes. A woo package. Because they're wolves. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. I've it's got five. an
2: Australian Shepherd. It does ah-hoo. <laughs> ah-hoo.
1: <laughs> Anyways, the quick note that I wanted to make is that one of the biggest problems with that strategy and why that it's fallen off is that. Cool, great, you have a pile of dorks, assuming that your opponent hasn't interacted, and then you drop Crater Hoof, maybe. But Crater Hoof and Primetime are so expensive relative to the complexity creep that's happened just in Magic as a whole, that it no longer cuts the mustard. Now those are cheat targets. Most of the time, people are drafting those because they're looking for ways to cheat into the play. They're looking for ways to get past the ramp. And what happens is that the ramp deck is now left there without relevant even extreme top end pieces, which hasn't been relevant for a long time. And when you're looking at your ramp pieces, it's important to think about what's your good three drops, four drops, and five drops, because that's what your dorks are going to be getting into. Skipping forward a turn on your mana is huge when you don't have, say, rocks, powers, etc. And when green is so far left behind, a lot of times we have to circumvent that for value cards like Rex Sage, Eternal Witness, uh, the Centaur, what is his name? Uh, Corsair of, of Crufix. Crufix. Thank you. Point is, is that we have a lot of these cards, but none of them are scary. None of these cards hit the board after a dork and your opponent's like, oh, I need to answer this or I have to do something about it except for Questing Beast, which comes up a lot.
0: I actually think Courser of Crufix is a bit of a must answer. I think Courser of Crufix has the ability to ramp quick enough and has a body that kind of needs to be a bit of an answer,
1: Like, or you need an answer Can to be. it fairly quickly. It's a value engine. But a point that we will be talking about later is that usually when you have the choice between Crufix and, say, a Garruk, or a Planeswalker, or et cetera, that's going to be a lot more of an impactful choice if you don't have that land package or you're not trying to get that extra ramp. You're trying to make something impactful now.
2: And I think, so. to put this into context, the list that where I pulled this from, we're going to talk about Maze Faye Cube. We talked about the Aou package? Aou. Aou. But Au. Still gets in, the, it. in this case, <laughs> in this case, <laughs> we pulled it from my Vintage Cube which is a 540. And I had to solve this problem in that environment as well, because I was doing the mana dork, mana dork, mana dork, primetime, crater hoof type of play. And how do you fill that gap, that dead space? And mm-hmm. we talked about in a previous episode, specifically in Uber Bear's Artifact Cube, I had listed in the bombs the card Tireless Tracker. And in that environment, due to the fact that there were no fetches, it suddenly became contextual, devi- contextually devalued, right? Yes. And Tyler's Tracker, for those that aren't familiar, and you should be, is for two colorless and one green. You get a human scout, 3-2. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. Whenever you sacrifice a clue, put a 1-1 counter on Tyler's Tracker. In an environment that has fetches, or in the case of when you're breaking Singleton and you have multiple fetches this card gets out of control, right? It's almost Fetch-centric, Fabled Passages, etc. I don't care if it's Evolving Wilds. This card gains value from the ability to get multiple land triggers. When Stu was originally talking about this and he made the joke about the bit was Tireless Tracker, Questing Beast. These two were highly impactful, but they're the only ones really holding that linchpin down of the Tireless Tracker in three, Questing Beast in four, and as May said, they represented immediate threats that can get out of control.
0: Even if you've just got quest Tireless Tracker down, right? Yep. And then on turn four, play a land, sack it, now you've got two clues, crack both of them, draw two cards. That's That's huge. Especially for green, I really do believe that. Right, you need that for green. You need to be drawing cards when your other creatures that you've put down only just are one ones or zero ones and tap for mana and do nothing else. So now the fact that you've got to refill your hand a little bit is very, very important. And now you could have a five four. That's not to be not to be trifled with. Right, that attacks pretty significantly. Uh-huh. And questing beast as a four four attacks pretty significantly. They're great utility cards again, but they're not great aggro. Cressing Beast is a good aggro card. Titus Striker is not a good aggro card.
2: To this point, green actually at this had been sifting, is what it had been doing. Its whole purpose was Rampant Growth, Kadama's Reach, removing your lands from your library, and then depleting, increasing the chances of gas, essentially, right? That was its pseudo-draw, is by increasing the percentage of drawing something that you'd want to play. But there was a point where green was hitting this critical mass of production of so much mana what do you cast right like there's there's only so many so many mana dorks you can have before you have nothing to cast with the mana dorks and then the idea is devalued yeah
0: and the idea is that when you've got six seven eight mana you're able to cast something that's just going to take over the game right right but it's just not happening like it used to
1: so there was actually a green deck that existed for a bit for the complete curveball last script you're welcome is that getting into that turn five plow under to put your opponent behind for two turns and take away some of their mana was a huge turn. And it was a good moment that shined where green started to shift away from scary four, three, four, five creatures to kind of three, four, five anything else.
2: So now... That was just, that was the main point. Well, no, that's a yeah. good point. That's a good point. Like, yeah. it, it, but it's still, its purpose was almost... Utilitarian at that point, right? It was right. wasn't about what it could do, but then we started getting cards, and this is going to be that unga unga bunga. How do you fill in that gap? That gap between three, four, and we'll do a little bit of five here. We've got cool cards, and this can be my powered vintage cube that I'm referencing. We got cards like endurance for one colorless and two green. You get a creature elemental incarnation flash that's what's going to make this card special and another component here reach whenever endurance enters the battlefield up to one target player puts all the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order and then you can evoke it exile a green card from your hand so you can make this free essentially right it's yeah. pretty powerful, and you can get a 3-4. It's very powerful just by virtue of the fact that you can get a 3-4 with reach for only three mana.
0: Like, that's a wonderful curve. Yeah. Right? I love that. And I think for a powered vintage environment, it just serves a great purpose because the graveyard is such an impactful zone in a vintage cube environment. But it's not a finisher.
2: It's not a finisher, but it's a. it has – what I do like about this is it has – we're going to call it pseudo-haste on turn four, right? Or, yeah, I think I got that right. But because you get to flash it in, you now have an attacker that's relevant. That would be my argument. Absolutely. This actually gives you something. It's not sure. a finisher, but it's definitely a card that suddenly becomes a relevant threat, and it has a good blocking body that can take care of your spirits and your Thopters and all these things, Or a right?
0: Dragon's Rage Channeler, you it, know? It deals, it, it deals
2: with your aggro package in a relevant way to allow you to continue to scale up so that you can play the game. And enough of these ideas and enough mass doesn't matter if it's a game finisher. It will take over a board state. May, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Like the thing that I mentioned earlier, it has to do with just the complexity cre- that has happened in Magic over time is that more and more creatures have become these mole drifter type effects or these effects that come in and they have to do something else. This is another example of I can flash it in, put pressure on the control player to have to answer it during their turn or it is just a big butt that prevents the little dooters from just getting through. Sometimes just flash it again, getting rid of somebody's little tutu, uh, tutu body or whatever is a good play. And that's something that you have to think about when you're looking at modern green packages. And a lot of curators haven't really adjusted to it because they're still in that traditional color pie mindset. It's the best way that I can put it.
2: And also I will add to you, and I meant to say this before, when we're talking about this fixing this this green mid-range package it doesn't just have to be creatures it it can be right. there's a multitude of things you can do it can even be token generators lots of things you can do to fill that void that we're talking about but this next card is, in fact, a creature. Stu, would you mind taking this away? I'm in love with this card. I'm, I was running it for a period in my power vintage environment. It's
0: not a power vintage card. It's a
2: good middle of the road. So here's the thing I want to have an on screen deliberation with you, Mike. Stu and I were talking about my dorks. We're going through my list as we do. And he's like, right. Lanorwar Elves, Fendorn Elves. He's like, you don't need this one anymore. Fendorn Elves
0: talk- is not vintage power.
2: He says that. the no, god.
0: But- Delighted Halfling needs to replace it.
2: Here's my counterpoint. Yep. I'm running 540 cards. You'll never draft my entire cube. In order to have diversity, I'm not at 360. 360, I have the leisure of having this tight pattern within a powered vintage environment. But at 540, I can kind of loosen the reins a little bit, but also knowing that you're not always going to get these optimal cards. So this next card, the reason why I put it on the list, when you don't see Questing Beast in a draft and it's not available in said draft at 540, you need options that play the game. Would you mind taking this one out and understanding that logic? So this
0: is Olvenwald Oddity, two colorless and two green for a four, four creature beast. It has trample and haste, and then you can pay five colorless and two green to transform Olvenwald Oddity into Olvenwald Behemoth, which is a eight, eight, trample haste. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one and have trample and haste.
2: So with a bigger list, my that stopgap, that doldrums I have, is a lot more diverse, right? I've got a, mm-hmm. I've got I a bigger, don't disagree. I've got a bigger power but this band This is not there. vintage. It's, this is unplayable in vintage cube. I disagree with that. May, do you? But I agree with
1: Stu. Really? It's absolutely unplayable. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to ask the wrong. listeners. I love Ovenwald. I, I love and it too. It's Good because color. I tend to curate a lot of lower power cubes. I tend to favor a lot of cubes that are budget friendly. And the reality is, is that this is a card that's just questing beast at home.
2: Yeah. Well, it's worse. It's a worse questing beast. Well, that was my point. At 540 cards, I'm going to have no, less. Questing pool.
1: beast at home is the insult. It is. Yeah, but, Honey, but, we, we have food at home. The food at home. You need to have a second one, though, right? I mean, that's with
2: everything, though. You need to have redundancy. This is not a second no. one. No, <laughs> no, you don't. It plays in the case of redundancy. No. I'm going to ask the it, list. It's
1: like saying no. that Arborback Stomper is the same thing as a Thrag Tusk.
2: You're always going to have a lesser tier. That's the same thing with the new... What's the new Thractose? It's the Rhino.
1: It's good. It's a good thing. There are homes for this, and that's why I love it. Vintage All right, listeners.
2: Listeners. We're gonna get We're going to get listeners to settle. We're going to go to the listener polls here on this one. Does this card qualify <laughs> Don't as Vintage do it. Cube? What you I'm should doing do it.
0: after this... We're going we're to record this out. episode. I'm going to put a poll out. And put it out on the <laughs> Twitters. cube is debate in my Vintage Cube. Do you agree or disagree? <laughs> I'm I'm going
1: to take a guess. <laughs> Perfect.
0: (laughs) But here's a four drop that belongs. And again, going back to the archetype or to the card types, right? Definitely, this deserves to be in. Garrick Wildspeaker, two colors, two green. Planeswalker Garrick comes in with three loyalty, plus one untap, two target lands. Minus one, put a three, three green beast creature token onto the battlefield. Or minus four over one, which is plus three, plus three for all of your creatures and gain Trample. Undoubtedly, this is a card that belongs in a vintage cube. In any way that you are playing green, if you can get this out with enough dorks, put this out. You only need to untap two target lands once and then do minus four once if you've got enough creatures out and you're probably threatening to take the game over, right? This is a solid card. Even if you just look at the untapped two, untapped two target lands, that by itself for the next turn, now it's got four loyalty. You can ramp this out pretty quickly, and that is a very, very relevant ability for a lot of archetypes, the fact that
2: you can untap two target lands. Very, very cool effect, but it's not an aggro effect. Which brings together a good point, though, is that Planeswalkers do a fantastic job of filling that gap. Whenever you don't have creature, because right now, going back to the Uvenwald Oddity versus the Questing Beast conversation, right? And they've both said Questing Beast was in, in a vintage, but Uvenwald Oddity didn't make it. But Garuk Wildspeaker at the same converted mana cost as Ovenwald Oddity does a lot more utilitarian role, does a lot more components, but also produces a creature. Planeswalkers can be used as that's that filler, right? And they're, they're value add filler. As a matter of fact, David McDarby talked about this in the live the dream environment. He was specifically using rock, the green, black, Golgari Mm -hmm. as supplementing it with planeswalkers to really give it that leading edge to carry it through. So that had something to do while you're building up to your big crescendo. So that's kind of the point of this episode is how do we make green not just mana dork, mana dork, mana dork, and then Haymaker, right? And this is how you kind of do it. You have to have components. I'm gonna to stick to my guns and leave them all oddity. If you have go for it. 540 fine plus, hill to die I would say it. 540 plus 720. Somewhere in that gap, you're okay. This would never in my mind make a 360 list. This would struggle at a 450 list. But when I get this larger list where I have to have cube diversity because it never gets draft, this is not a shameful card to be in there. This it's not card on the
0: same tier. He's literally played nowhere. Nowhere. It's in Uberbear's <laughs> Horror Cube. It's in your Horror Cube, which is a thematic cube and your vintage cube. It's literally played nowhere else. So let's move on so to our next one. So it's either gotta <laughs> be vintage, I have no- sure, legacy, sure, modern, plenty of dis- of dis- disgustingly powerful cards in all of those formats, right?
1: Where, does, card- quest-
2: where does Questing Beast show up at? Vintage. Vintage. Okay. Shows up in a vintage what, queue. What?
1: I don't understand the no, question. No, you said it was Anyways, for the let me bring us back <laughs> on the rails. Just
0: no. There's because no I want to talk about
1: Rook. I've there's, been begging to talk about, wants, about. She wants to talk about, talk about the Rook. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Green's role has changed in a lot of high power environments, and you, as a curator, need to keep in mind that scary questing beast cards aren't going to be your bread and butter for a lot of cases, but. Things like Rook are perfect because they are scary value pieces that can be ramped into. And while they are that perfect filler into that dead zone, it is a scary card because of its value throughout. It is something worth ramping into, and Green wants to lean into that. And when you are building your cube and thinking about things in that slot that you want to ramp into, Planeswalkers are great for filling that slot. Which brings us into the next Planeswalker that we should talk about. Stu, would you like to talk about it?
0: So this is Nissa, who shakes the world. Three colorless and two green for a legendary planeswalker Nissa. Whenever you tap a forest for mana, add an additional green. Nissa has plus one. Put three plus one plus one counters on up to one target non-creature land you control and tap it. It becomes a zero zero elemental creature with vigilance and haste that's still land. And then you have minus... Eight bit of a jump. You get an emblem with lands you control, have indestructible, search your library for any number of forest cards, put them onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle
2: your library. That, yeah, this card's nuts. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. good. It's but like it's-
0: not the most powerful Nissa, which um, we're going to talk about in just a moment, but. Very very powerful card.
2: I would say I don't, it's I don't a know great either, five drop. I it's a if, great card. And the next one that Stu debates is the better version of Nissa. I don't, I don't what know Nissa do, <laughs>
0: <Mom>. <laughs> All
2: right, the next one that Stu debates is uh, better, but I don't know if I necessarily agree. But I think it's great. Is Nissa the Ascended Animus for three three colorless, two forest, and two green Phyrexian mana get a legendary planeswalker Nissa, and it is completed, which is a really sad ending for Nyssa, but I think they rewound that. But you can pay the Phyrexian mana or two life. And for each time you paid that with life, this planeswalker enters the battlefield with two fewer loyalty counters.
0: So it's either you pay seven mana. Yep. Comes in as seven, pay six mana and two Phyrexian
2: comes in as, as four. Cause it's four. Yep. Cause it reduces by two each time you do it. Yeah. So. Then the plus one is create an XX green Phyrexian horror creature token where X is Nis' ascended Animus Loyalty. Then the minus one is destroy target artifact or enchantment. And then the minus seven is until the end of the turn, creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each forest you control and gain Trample. So at
0: least Lots of the words. plus one is getting you a 3-3 three, three yep. green Phyrexian, mm-hmm. right? Next turn, pay me a 4-4. Four, four. If you pay all the mana, Right. Now you're getting a 7-7, and then an 8-8, and then a 9-9. Pretty powerful.
2: It's big. Yep. I like it. And the reason why we're putting this in that class was because of the Phyrexian mana. May you have something to add to that?
1: Yes. Not only is this card great because Mm -hmm. it scales, and you're happy to ramp into it at 5, 6, or be your big stupid haymaker later, but... What's really important to note about the three Planeswalkers that we mentioned is that in green, these all make creatures to protect themselves. They are all able to protect themselves creature wise. And the fact that if your opponent's not able to answer those creatures or the Planeswalker itself immediately, right, it means that they will eventually take over the game. So not only are they a threat later, but they are a threat now.
0: Yeah, Agreed. Especially, like, that Nissa, I've watched Vintage Cube games with that Nissa that just starts pumping out those Phyrexian tokens and it's, it just ends games. Like, it's very, very difficult unless you have a bunch of flyers or unless you've already done a bunch of damage to really get through a board like that. And again, I, I think that's beautifully put. Anytime you have a Planeswalker that has the ability to protect itself, a la Nissa, a la Grist, a la even oco because you're ocoing, you know, you're elking someone's big flyer or whatever, and you've already or got a one your food one out. Or turn your food into an elk. It just makes that planeswalker so much more impactful.
2: So that kind of ties off the vintage cube section, right? Like we're oh we're, no, we're, filling we're not in-
0: done with that. Don't even think about it. We're we're coming back to that, Anthony. All
2: right, yeah. So all right, so <laughs> now we're gonna move over to the. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna kind of move over to the peasant cube uncommon environments, right? I wanted to show in the show notes in particular, is that this isn't just a kind of a thing that Green has a problem with, just in a vintage cube environment. Green, we we're going to give you a solution for each type of environment. And in this case, it's going to be sandwiches peasant, peasant cube that's featured at KubeCon 2023. And yes. if you haven't got a chance to play that, I hope you did by the time this show came out. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> amazing, but Stu and I'll be playing it soon. But He's got some gifts that have been given him recently that really, he had this similar problem, right? Where green had this weird, like, haymaker. He had access to all the dorks and then get to the haymaker, right? And it looked a lot like the curve of a vintage cube. Well, how did Chris fix that? The first one he did was Riscar the Pima Renegade for two colors and one green. to get a legendary creature, Elf Druid, 2-2. Whenever Riskar, Pima... Renegade enters the battlefield. Put a one more counter on each of up to two Tart creatures. Each creature you control with a one more counter on it has tap. Add one green mana. Stabilizes and ramps. ramps. Yep,
0: aggressive, phenomenal card.
1: Absolutely love Rishkar so love much. This card. The and he got important downgraded. thing to note is that because it's peasants, their selection of planeswalkers are just worse. Yep, and that's just the nature of the rarity restriction. And Rishkar does a great. I would say, impersonation of Guruk in a way. And it comes down, it can potentially make your two creatures be able to tap for green immediately. Or it can just put a counter on itself and something else to be able to turn sideways with later. I would say it and. Is, I would it say and, not even an or. I think
0: it's an and. It gives it the ability to ramp exactly. and protect itself.
1: Exactly. And... A card like this is perfect for a peasant environment, and the reason why we're able to do it is just because it recently got downshifted, which really sh- really exemplifies what I'm trying to point out with complexity creep. Forever ago, this was a rare, <laughs> and the fact that this is now at Uncommon should say a lot about the state of magic cards right now. Yep. This next Which card is just though. something that you have to work around as a curator. Mm-hmm. So. This
2: next card is the flagship for popper and peasant, and it has never ever disappointed in a draft. This Love. card is wild, and it's always been common. And if you have a popper cube and you are looking to deal with this problem that we're talking about here, if you're not running Bannerhide Krushok. For three colorless and one green, you get a creature beast, Trample. To reinforce two, pay one green and one forest, discard this card, put two woman counters on target creature, or you can scavenge it later for five colorless and two green, exile this card from your graveyard, put a number of one woman counters equal to this card's power on target creature, scavenge only as a sorcery, and it is a 4-4 body. This card is word soup, and it's always been common, and, and this is a huge draft pick. 4-4 a-
0: for Trample, 4-4 Trample for four mana.
2: Mm-hmm. With with Absolutely. with basically the ability to get it out that of your graveyard is later. Nuts!
1: Yeah. And this is a common,
2: always been common. Yep, yep.
1: It's crazy. I will note because I've been specifically uh, looking at the common four drops for green for a long time. Is that for a long time before this card came out? Is that our next best four four trampler was Fear Switch Stalker, which was from Eldraine, which just comes in makes a food and it has just a four four trampler. That was our next best. And I like being some Fierce Witch Sucker, right? But this is a combat trick. It's modal and it could be paid off later. It does everything that you're looking for. It is a perfect card to highlight here.
2: Absolutely. This next one's one that we kind of talked about. We've been talking about Tireless Tracker in multiple occasions now. But now we're going to talk about Tireless Provisioner. And why does this matter to Peasant and popper cubes is because they recently got this little suite of pseudo fetches when they enter the battlefield gain of life, right? And they do trigger this on multiple occasions because of ETBs and the LTBs out. Yep. Tyler's Provisioner has value add to fill in that gap, that dead zone for your, in this case, your peasant environments. If you're looking for this, because you don't want to keep doing the dork, 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 haymaker, right? That's how we get past this. Tylus Provisioner for two colorless and one green. You get a creature elf scalped three, two. And the elf may matter as well, too, because sometimes they run, they run elf ball in a lot of mm-hmm. these environments, right? Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token or a treasure token. Let's stop on the food token for a minute. A lot of times in the peasant environments, they're creature-centric, creature-heavy. The life total matters more there than it typically does, like in a powered vintage environment that we highlighted before. So that three life is extremely relevant here. And of course, the treasure moves you forward. But this wonderful card to have the option, right? You can
0: either press the uh, press the issue if you feel like you're ahead and you want to take that treasure and you want to pump it out into another value creature, or maybe you're behind a little bit and you're thinking, okay, I need to just put this body out, maybe stabilize, gain that extra, you know, three life. Three life is not to be uh, trifled with, or. You you know, not to be poo-pooed, to say the least.
2: Very, very good card. So we can make that treasure At and uncommon. ramp into this next card. May, would you mind taking this one? Away? We're going to crack our treasure and we're going to cast this.
1: How are we re- cracking a treasure in order to cast this? It's Goreclaw Terror of Kalsis... And it's three in a green, four you don't got that. Legendary Creature Bear and... Creatures you cast with power 4 or greater cost 2 less to cast. Fantastic. And whenever she attacks, each creature you control with power 4 or greater gets plus 1, plus 1, and trample until end of turn. Hey, I like big, stupid, go-wide, plus 1, plus 1, gains, trample things, especially at 4 mana.
2: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Great job in Peasant Cubes to help fill in that that dead zone, that green. This mm-hmm. is the unga bunga at home for Uncommon subsets. But... That's enough about the peasant environments. I mean, that's kind of... I wanted to kind of roll over. We've kind of done... Just to top it off, we've done some vintage, how to fill in that stopgap? Let's talk about a specific cube. Yep. Yep. Let's go. May. How did you solve this problem in your environment? Tell us about your cube.
1: Yeah. So, I actually developed a very special package. And while I'm not going to talk about the entirety of the package, because it's like eight different cards... I wanted to highlight three that I be- think can belong in a lot of lower power environments, peasant environments, whatnot. And I call it the Awoo package. And it's essentially a AWU. collection of wolf and wolf generating cards that put pressure on your opponents in a roundabout way, kind of. So, as we know, being able to flash things in and puts pressure on the control player to have to answer it during their turn. However... The first card here, Wolfier Avenger, which is one green-green, creature-wolf-warrior 3-3 with flash. But you can also pay one and a green to regenerate it, which means that if you play it on turn three and you flash it in to, say, eat an attacker or to pressure the blue player, they now have to waste mana on their turn in order to answer it. If you're going against a red player, they now have to consider whether or not they can burn it, want to burn it now or burn it later, because... being able to regenerate and put pressure on their removal is huge put pressure on the control player is huge and it's an on right body that's hard to get rid of and that is a huge part for green. Going to dork into this feels really good in my environment because in my environment it's slow, it's controlly, it's value based and being able to force your opponents to interact on their own turn can be huge for unlocking your turn 4
2: this next one you have on your list exemplifies what we talked about before. It kind of fits into that role we talked about. It didn't just have to be a creature in your powered vintage environment. It could be a Planeswalker. Well, in this case, uh, you've included Predator's Howl, which is an instant. Also fills the role, right? For three colorless uh-huh. and one green, to get an instant. Put a 2-2 green wolf token onto the battlefield. Not an amazing rate for that portion, but the next portion is what Best makes keyword it ever morbid. Put three two two green wolf creature tokens onto the battlefield instead. If a creature died this turn, it is fantastic plays in those sacrifice strategies and put six power distributed on the board for four mana, I love which is getting, powerful for I a low power thematic permanence. environment. Yeah.
0: yeah, I love getting three permanents for one card and only four mana. And it's four and it's three two twos. That's that dispersed. Sometimes
1: that dispersed. The rate is insane. Yeah. And the thing that really pushed it out. Was the fact that you could play super aggressive cards for your one, two, etc. Or, or you can have your dorks there. So that way, if somebody ends up removing something later, then you can use your dork to ramp into this on turn three. Yep. So say if you play some relevant two drop, right? And then they end up trying to answer it on turn three or whatever before you get a chance to use it. Then you can actually bring out Predator's Howl later, right? So the Morbid puts a lot of pressure on your opponent for when you're turning sideways, for when you're ramping, and it fills that curve out really, really nicely because you want to be putting pressure on your opponent and getting three bodies at 2-2 each is huge. Yeah, f- and initially this got cut because it was a little too strong, but I ended up putting it back in because as the power level of the fake Cube is kind of regulated around the 4, 5, etc. slots, I needed this slot in particular to be pushed.
0: It would be awful for my opponent if they, you know, decided to destroy my dork and I floated mana in response and then paid four and got three 2-2 green
2: wolf creature tokens. Sorry, opponent.
1: Exactly.
2: So another one that really pushes this idea, and I like that you've done this, the diversity to help listeners understand, again, to push it again, doesn't have to be just creatures to fill that gap, right? You can count these Mm as creatures if you so wish within your count, but I like what you've done here. And the next card, Stu, would you mind taking this one away, please? This is
0: Raised by Wolves. This is a three-colorless, two-green enchantment aura, enchant creature, when Raised by Wolves enters the battlefield, put two 2-2 two, two green wolf creature tokens onto the battlefield. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each wolf you control. This is a little bit glass cannony for me,
2: right? But it's aggro. because it's an And I want or, aggro. Or, 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 or is I want to go
0: cannony? bananas. I want to push the envelope. I want to hit you as hard as I can. And this is incredible for that, right? You're getting four power. You're getting three power. Plus three power on whatever creature, or pu- sorry, plus two power on whatever you're putting this uh, this enchantment on. What a wonderful and flavorful aggro card this is, and it's it's, it's I love it's, it. It's, for it's low incredible. Environments. It's great
1: because one of the biggest issues with auras, just in general, is that they kind of come down, get removed, and don't do anything. Yes, this comes down, makes two bodies, and then it powers up whatever it's attached to. But if you sk- uh, curve into this, say from the predators. Etc. Right. Or from the Wolfier Avenger. Right. Going into Raised by Wolf with any other of these Wolf pieces or any of the uh, other Woo package that I'm not going to mention because again it's just, it's just a lot of cards and we don't have a lot of time. But if you have any of those other pieces out that are already putting pressure this is a great 5 drop. And this is worth ramping into for a lot of cases in my environment because it's going to be slower and it's going to be more around getting those attrition based choices. And this gives you that attrition. This gives you those additional bodies that you can push into victory.
0: Yeah, I'm putting this on a low-value creature. Like, put it on a 1-1. Mm-hmm. Put it on a 2-2. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to turn a 1-1 or a 2-2 into a 3-3 or a 4-4. Now you kind of have to get rid of that because it's hitting pretty hard, but I've already got these 2-2-2s from value out of it. Like, that's that's it's, it's great. And again... I've said this on this episode, I've said it on previous episodes.
2: I love getting multiple permanents for the cost of only one card. Mm-hmm. And this next card, it's not included in Maze Fey Cube, but it's fantastic for anywhere you're looking to t- get that tie that binds for that Unga Bunga package for something that it's gonna be vanilla ish, but huge on rate for an efficient cost. And that's gonna be Love Struck Beast for two colorless and one green. You get a Beast Noble. So it's going to be an adventure card. And that's what I love about this. The, the modality sets this card apart, right? So we're going to start with the first part. It's Heart's Desire for one green. So you do this on turn one. Sorcery Adventure. Create a 1-1 one, one human creature token. That's pretty good, right? It's just a one for one. Mm-hmm. Did it. Okay. The next portion of it is now you cast the Beast for its two colorless and one green. Love struck Beast. Can't attack unless you control a 1-1 creature for a 5-5 body. Very Leatherback Bealoth-centric-ish.
0: I ain't worried about the but restriction. It's
2: just a beatdown card. This it is. is a straight is. up dumb beatdown card. And
0: there's plenty of 1-1 mana dorks. Yep. Right. Yep. Plenty of ways to enable this card
2: and fight five, five, three. Working this turn
1: too is feels good. It does. Heck yeah. Sure and, does. And it,
2: there's nothing sophisticated about it. It's just elegant. It's going to get the job done, and it gives you something to do in that dead space that green has oftentimes fallen into. It just stops at two and never begins at six. How do you fill that in? Right. And we're kind of giving mm-hmm. you that cards that you can pour into that and you have this list This show notes will give you all kinds of diversity to choose from you can cherry pick from these and go what fits your type of environment the speed the theme whatever and you can just kind of do what we've done here well but i'm glad it's a universal problem though.
0: i'm glad i'm glad that we didn't just have a five second episode with me saying uh tyler's tracker and questing beast i think this is important and, uh, you know, maybe my attitude's changed a little bit.
2: <laughs> so we're going to move over to final <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> so giving Green an identity, it's important. You have to bolster it up, right? Not everything is going to work, as we talked about. Just looking at the deliberation we had between Ovenwall, Oddity, and Questing Beast, you can see where that the environmental context really does shape people's opinions.
0: Yes, one of those is a very, yeah, very, yeah. very good card. One of them
2: is not. <laughs> and, then, and then you can <laughs> see where the, it's important to get, like, the card selection may want she said this the cards that fill these slots need to be impactful they need to do something interesting to incentivize your drafters to even want to play these maybe they want to curve out at five right so you need to choose stuff that has a lot of modality a lot of player choice agency right well let's talk
0: about that from a from the fake cube right because you've obviously put these these cards in there right these are fake cube cards are in the show notes you want this mm -hmm. to be a choice for your drafters. You want them to have this option to be able to go from just putting a dork or two into play in the very early turns to having those mid-range options that can create a threat, that can create a threatening board state for the player to prevent their opponents from just running over them with either card value or other, you know, card advantage or whatever. So this is an important gap that you're filling in with these cards.
1: Yeah, well, if we're going to uh, mention this specific thing, I might as well talk about the backbone of my cube-specific package. I didn't want to mention it just because it's not really universal like the rest of my AWU packages, but in the Fae cube in particular, we have Ren's Run Packmaster as a 4-drop. It's 3 in a green, Elf Warrior 5-5, five five, Champion and Elf, hence why it's pretty Fae-exclusive. And you can pay 2 in a green to put a green, wolf, creature token into play each wolf you control has death touch so not only is this big stompy but you can use the dorks that you used her you can use the dorks that ramped into this two champion and that is huge that is a huge synergy piece that people are going to look for when they're drafting and that's what made the backbone of the a woo deck in the fade cube and while I believe that the, a lot of the AWU package that I have in my cube can be applied to a lot of other lower power environments, this one in particular happens to highlight, hey, a lot of my dorks happen to be elves, and a lot of these elves can champion into this on turn four. And when it does, you get this very scary, very relevant mana dump that makes a bunch of 2-2 death touchers. And how do you feel that
0: that's impacted that, like, you know, someone comes along, they want to just draft green. Has that given them what they need to be able to draft that green package Absolutely. and to be relevant? And where's where's that power band? Is it in that? Like, are those powerful enough to say, you know what? You only kind of need to be in that space and you're threatening games quickly. Is it more like filling in for maybe when they get to that six, seven, eight mana sort of stage of a of a game, or is it powerful enough that they're being able to end games with those with those cards earlier on?
1: Pre wilds of Eldraine. It was definitely one of the strongest cards in the environment. Very intentionally so, so to signpost that overlap between elves and wolves. But ever since Wild of came out, and now that there are just a higher density of adventure cards and whatnot, this card now just feels very good for this environment. It feels very healthy, and I think that it's in a good spot. And I think that this is a great example of something that you can think about when you're creating your own thing is as things change and environments change for th- all the rest of your colors sometimes things that used to be too strong you might want to go back to and think of, reconsider those
2: so i think cool. a, i think a good uh, tie off for this is it's a universal concept between all different types of rarity levels right thematic and rarity green has oftentimes suffered from being as we summarized it the utility color right the glue where mm-hmm. you kind of jumped over from dork 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 to Haymaker Well, we're trying to make green better by adding these components that do a lot of things, provide modality, diversity, and choices to your players and your drafters. And so that they want to keep playing again. And sometimes they don't want to go all the way to the crater hoof behemoths of the world, right? Don't want to carry it all the way. And this gives them an option. So the unga bungas of the world and the au packages, et cetera, oh. there's something that you can look at and <laughs> kind of as a curator harness that to make green have more mid-range legitimate threats and i'll say that in closing i did this with uber bears horror cube with werewolves they serve my purpose and other than that we're going to move over to the socials
0: all right as always To all of our listeners, thank you very much for tuning into this show. And if you've not listened to any of our previous, go ahead and check us out. And give us a five-star review on whatever your chosen podcast platform is. We really appreciate it. Help us uh, get out there to more and more Magic the Gathering listeners. Uh, go check out our affiliate link on uh, com slash ubercube. Go and get 5% off your purchase. You want to go check out uh, Altersleeves for some awesome bling for your cube or, you know, whatever other magic format you're playing. Uh, really awesome products there. Love their stuff. Uh, again, go check them out. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can also use our Inked Gaming affiliate link they have an awesome selection of playmats, dice bags, mouse pads and all kinds of cool custom products available for your cube, commander deck, whatever the case may be. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at ubercubemtgpod. You can reach out to us via email. We are ubercubemtgpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, come hit us up on the Discord. Hashtag UberCube. Go check out the DeckBows channel. Go check out even just the general channel. A lot of cool discussion going on right now about pot, about cubes and about KubeCon and De- about everything De- DeckBows Deck from CubeCon. from KubeCon. I yep. want to see plenty of those. Yep. And finally, we want to see your decks. We want to see the decks. Tell us about the Patreon. Give them a shout out.
2: Yeah, our Patreon, uh, good friend Stephen Conanfall uh, recently joined our Patreon and he sent me a message and he goes, I thought this was a meme. I didn't know that I could actually contribute to it. We have been doing the gag reel for so long. <laughs> but I want to say thank you to Stephen. I want to say thank you to Preston and Sam for supporting the show. And thank if you anybody to all else wishes to support the show, absolutely. And the example that we've used before is with our good friend Preston. We've already written one episode. We're going to write another. We truly appreciate the support. We're recording this pre-CubeCon, so hopefully that uh, we're going to have a great time at CubeCon. Aren't we going to so be amazing? We're all going oh, be be to have fun. There's all the crew it'll Over be a blast. Uber but other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here Ubercube and is happy, happy birthday. Birthday. ramping. <laughs> happy ramping. Happy birthday. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs>